Yeah, there's nothing more dangerous than a man who's a little too comfortable behind the microphone. So I'm going to make an effort in this particular episode to stay uncomfortable. Sounds like it's one of those platitudes. Stay uncomfortable. Do something every day that scares you. Do something every day that that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Now, doing a show is a good way to make yourself uncomfortable. At any moment, I could become uncomfortable doing this. And, you know, if I say all the things I do already not being comfortable, imagine what I would say if I was comfortable. Imagine things I would say if I were actually comfortable right now. You wouldn't even know what I was saying, because if I were truly comfortable, all you would hear is an inhuman hiss. It's all you would hear if I were truly comfortable. That felt good. That little moment, that little hiss that probably made a terrible noise into the microphone, that's all the comfort you're going to get. No, you know, all this talk about Wiggers recently, I promise not to go on. I promise not to make this a trilogy. I promise not to make this a trilogy of Wigger episodes. The trilogy of Wiggers. But that said, you know, all that thinking about that has me thinking about other groups of people. And nerds are one of those. Because, you know, if anything's a sign that the snake is swallowing more and more of its own tail, it's the introduction of ideas like wiggers and nerds into American culture. And those two things kind of coincided. Like, we think of nerds going back further. We think of nerds as kind of an older idea, at least in pop culture. We think about the 1950s. Because it kind of took teenage youth culture developing in the way that it did in the 50s. Because, you know, the 1950s were when that real big boom happened. When teenagers really became their own thing. Not just people, not just kids who were about to immediately become adults. But teenagers came to be viewed as this group unto itself that did teenager things. And, you know, with that, though, came the nerd, because the nerd was somebody who didn't do those things. A nerd in the 1950s was somebody who was bookish, humorless. They cared about school, which they did very well at. They were very good students. I'm trying to think of another word. Good students. They were. They were known as good students. Not very fashionable. They weren't into cars, women. They weren't into rock and roll. They weren't into all of the things that cool kids were into in the 1950s. So this idea of the nerd was created. Because it kind of took the teenage revolution of the 50s to create the nerd as well as these other forms of kid. Forms of kid. It's the name of my album. Forms of kid. It sounds too much like a real album. Not funny. No, but it took cool kids for there to be kids who were uncool. Because before that, it was probably more of... I mean, there's always been groups. There's there's always been identities. But still, you know, I don't think that the identities, the groups, were as well formed until the teenage revolution. And so it created nerds along with the cool kids. And nerds were thought of as smart. You know, and even today, if you were to ask the average person right now... Describe a nerd in three words, which is a great icebreaker. Like if you ever need to say something as an introduction at parties, or if you're meeting somebody new, if you're meeting your significant other's parents, 
for the first time and you've kind of hit a lull in the conversation, just say, describe a nerd in three words. Chances are the first word or at least one of those three words is going to be smart because there's this idea that nerds are smart. And the 1950s nerd was basically that. It's basically somebody who only cared about intellectual pursuits and they weren't into breaking the rules. They were basically very intelligent and they were going to follow the system the way the system was set up. You know, don't break any rules. Don't do anything unhealthy. Basically just study and do well care about smart people things, you know. And you think about, like, what nerdy interests were at that time, too. It was like, they were basically an extension of school. It was like, oh, he goes home and he, he plays around with a, a a radio set. He's learning all about those radio... In his, in his downtime, he's learning all about the radio signals and CB radio. And, oh, he, he got a bottle... He, he got a, he got a, a rocket model kit oh he got a model of a to build a rocket you know things like that they were into things like that you know the idea of nerd culture as we understand it today really didn't describe nerds from back then at all and i mean i'm of course looking back i I wasn't there in case you didn't know I, i wasn't around in the 1950s i was around in the 40s i disappeared in the 1950s i reappeared in the 1980s no, but, you know, I don't know what it was actually like. You know, I'm just, who knows what, what it was actually like to be there. Because I don't think anybody, even with all of the documentation, I don't think anybody would accurately be able to describe the circumstances I grew up in, the world I grew up in, if they weren't alive then. And even then, I wouldn't trust them. I don't even trust the people, like my peers. I don't even trust my peers to accurately remember what it was like when we were growing up or what it's like right now for that matter. So the idea of me being like, this is what nerds were like in the 1950s. It's like, I have no idea what I'm actually talking about, but I am talking about the way nerds were portrayed in pop culture, the way they are portrayed in pop culture. And it was in the 1950s, it was like smart, studious. They're going to make something of themselves. And they're not going to do all of the foolish things that other teenagers do that ruin their lives. But in in not doing those things, they sacrifice popularity. They sacrifice coolness. But then you think about what a nerd is in recent decades, like my generation. Because I think my generation was the first generation to really have like self-identified nerds who were involved in this kind of subculture that's increasingly become the entire culture we live in. But at that time, it was kind of this subculture of people who were really into video games. They were the people who were doing stuff on the internet before anybody else was. They were spending all their time online before anybody else was. And they were into things that were very niche. They were into anime. You know, before my generation, Dungeons and Dragons was bigger. But they were into very niche you know, subjects, you know, they were into fantasy, they read fantasy books, they were into science fiction. So nerd culture very much became these niche interests. And I know those existed earlier. Like I know science fiction and fantasy were popular decades earlier and all that. But it doesn't seem like it was a, a totally formed identity at that time. It was my generation that I believe had the first real nerd subculture. 
uh, at least one that was immediately identifiable, like something where you could see or hear a kid and know exactly how he fit into that. But what's interesting about that is it's almost the complete opposite of the 1950s nerd, because the nerds that I knew when I was growing up, and to this day, nerds, I mean, nerdy adults I know, like, they weren't good in school. They broke all kinds of rules. They were disgusting. You know, they, they stayed up all night playing video games or, or being online, being online. They didn't end up making anything of themselves, which went against this sort of... You know, it's kind of like a, just like the the way people talked about nerds when I was growing up was much more like, ooh, you better watch out. He's going to be your boss someday. Oh, he might seem like a nerd now, but he's going to have a trophy wife and he might be your boss someday. Oh, see him? See that nerd in the corner? You See that kid? He spends his lunch hour in the computer lab playing Counter-Strike. But just look at him in 10 years, and you're going to be looking at a, a Fortune 500 tech CEO. He's going to be worth a billion dollars. He's going to be worth a trillion, billion, billion dollars. And people would talk that way, though, about nerds. There was this idea that had hit pop culture, which was that you better be careful. That nerd you're picking on, he's going to be your boss someday, and he's going to be worth 10 billion, trillion, billion and his wife's going to be so much hotter, and you're not even going to be able to get laid. You're gonna, In 10 years, oh, you think you're cool, Mr. Jock? Well, in 10 years, you're not even going to be able to get laid. You're going to have to be, you're going to be hanging around that nerd. You're going to hope that nerd over there remembers you, because he's going to be worth a billion, trillion, billion. And he's going to have pussy all around. Excuse me, excuse my language, but hey, it's the truth. You're not going to have nothing, and he's going to have every girl. They're going to love his trillion, billion dollars with their double DDs. They're going to have their double DDs up in his face. So you better respect the nerd, baby. You better respect that nerd. Uh, you heard stuff like that. Maybe not that exact, maybe not verbatim what I just said, but that was this kind of colloquial, is that the right phrase? It was kind of this like... I don't think colloquial is the right word. It was this sort of, I don't know, it was just sort of like the language of the people at the time. This sort of, you know, people's knowledge. It was like, oh, you know, all the nerds, because they totally all become really successful, don't you know? Every nerd becomes wildly successful. It's just it's just what happens. That was the idea. And then post-Columbine, I think I was in seventh grade when Columbine happened. Then you, there was a, a variation of that, which was, oh, you better not be mean to the nerd because he's going to be your billionaire boss someday, and your vacation is going to depend on him. But then this alternative after Columbine developed, which was he's either going to be your billionaire boss or he's going to kill you and everybody here. Oh, see that nerd over there playing Counter-Strike during lunch hour in his trench coat? He's either going to be your boss or he's going to come to school one day and kill you and everybody you know with his pipe bombs you know it, it, that, that was the sort of attitude it's like we expect this person to either be the most wildly successful person you've ever known or he might be the worst person you've ever known and he might come to school in a rage one day and waste you while pretending that life is a video game 
He's going to play out some real-life Counter-Strike, some real-life Duke Nukem on you. So you better be nice to him because he's either going to be your boss or your murderer. That, that was kind of the, the way people talked about nerds at the time, which is really funny because most nerds that I knew didn't make anything of themselves. Like, they didn't do either of those things. Most of the nerds that I have known in my life have made very little of themselves, at least relatively speaking. I mean, they haven't done anything more impressive than the average popular kid. And they also haven't killed anybody. You know, they also haven't done anything horrible. So it was just funny to me that this idea got drilled into people's heads that you're either going to do the best possible things that life has to offer or you're going to inflict pain and suffering on everybody because that's how we think about nerds. But at some point I realized, you know, that nerds aren't smart. Even though, like I was saying, like if you ask your girlfriend's parents to give you three words fast when they hear the word nerd, one of them is going to be smart. Because the things that nerds used to be into, like the extracurricular activities that nerds used to be into, used to take a certain a certain amount of know-how. Like in order to play around with CB radios, you know, you have to know your way around wires, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. But they would build things. They would build gadgets. They were creative. And how much of this is just pop culture? Probably all of it. Oh, it's a movie about a bunch of kids who are going to go on an adventure and the nerd builds gadgets that they can use. You know, you have that idea in pop culture. But you know, in general, I think we had this idea that nerds were into a very niche interest. They were very passionate about it. And they were, chances are, pretty adept, pretty good. But then this idea of the Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs kind of came in. And that's still a strange one to me. Uh, Gates and Jobs. I still don't believe that those are real names. Like, if I had to make up fake characters who were part of the tech revolution, I would name them things like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. And I've been saying that for a long time. There was years ago, it was probably like Christmas 2011, Christmas Eve 2011, my friend Ben was passing through town and he wanted to interview me for a project he was working on. And I just drank a bunch of whiskey and I was very belligerent. I still have a copy of the recording and I was very belligerent to him. Thankfully, he's been my friend many, many years, but he was actually, I think he was trying to give me like a little pep, you know, he's trying to like, uh, I don't think he was being patronizing. I think he was just trying to give me a little pep in my step or something. Cause I remember when he was talking to me, he made a couple comments or it very well could have influenced me doing a podcast because he, he said, uh, you know, you really need the Eric Stonefelt show, and it could happen. And I think he was envisioning, like, me having my own talk show. I think he was envisioning, like, like I'm the new Jimmy Fallon. I mean, as I've mentioned on here, I, I, this, is, this show is the, the new Saturday... No, it's not the new Saturday Night Live. It's the new Daily Show. Every Night's a School Night is the new Daily Show and has been since January. I'm the host of the Daily Show, and... There's a conspiracy to keep that a secret for some reason. But Ben was just saying, like, I should have my own show. I should have the Eric Stonefelt show. And he was kind of trying to influence me, or not influence me, but just kind of, I don't know, give me a little pep or something in my step. And because uh, I remember at one point he was also like, uh, you know, if these other people can do it, you can do it. Basically, if Bill Gates and Steve Jobs can do what they did, like, who's saying you can't? do the same. 
And I remember in that interview because I was like, Gates, Jobs? Those aren't even real names. Those aren't even real people's names. And that's funny, too, because they... So my point is, I'm glad I've been consistent on that point. I'm glad I still feel the same way about those names. And those are good examples, too. Just go back to the nerd thing real quick. I understand this is fracturing, but to go back to the nerd thing, those guys were always cited as examples of the nerds who succeeded. And I mentioned how, like, the nerds of my generation weren't good in school. Like, not all of them. Like, a lot of them actually didn't do well in school. And that's sort of like this built-in narrative where they say, oh, they're not good in school because they're actually too smart for school. Bill Gates dropped out of blah, blah, blah. Bill Gates dropped out of blah, blah school. And he's not, he doesn't regret it. He doesn't regret dropping out of blah, blah school. And you hear things like that, like Steve Jobs uh, did a lot of LSD and he didn't, school just wasn't for him. So maybe it's not for you. So if you drop out of high school, maybe you'll become the next Steve Jobs. You know, but that was sort of built into it where it's like, oh, well, it's not that nerds aren't smart. It's that school isn't for them because their gifts are better used elsewhere. And that's true in some cases, of course. I mean, all these things have truth to them. It's just that they became this sort of narrative that was running through definitely the time that I was growing up. And like I said, I think that was new to to my age group. I think that was new to my generation. But in reality, a lot of these nerds from my generation, they were just video game internet addicts. They were the first video game and internet addicts that you ever knew. And I liked both of those things. Like, like as soon as the internet was around, as soon as video games were around, like, I was into those things. How could you not be interested in them? But it's like the, the true nerds are people where it, like, immediately had a destructive impact on their lives. Like, immediately video games and the internet consumed these people. And so it wasn't that they were just kind of these misguided rebels who just needed the right opportunity to succeed. It's that they really weren't particularly intelligent and they just got kind of sucked into these hobbies that were really addictive. And to this day, many of them really haven't done anything. And I don't say this to be mean. I'm just saying that whole idea that we had of what a nerd was ended up being something completely different as soon as it became its own self-identified subculture because my generation is the first generation where somebody would just outright say well I'm a nerd and even then you didn't hear it that often it wasn't until a few years later I feel like a few years after high school that I really started to hear it but a voice developed with it it's not just a set of interests it's not just that oh these people are really into this oh he's he's uh he's 23 but he still collects action figures you know it wasn't just a the specific interests, although it was those two, it was also just this whole subculture and they developed this sense of humor and this tone of voice. And a lot of them, if not most of them have it where they almost sound like somebody doing a bad Janine Garofalo impression because their entire sense of humor is this sort of superficial surface level sarcasm. And it just reminds me of somebody doing like a bad Janine Garofalo impression. Um, Okay, then. Um, okay, then. I can't really do it. I'd have to work on it. I know that I could be good at it if I worked on it. So you might hear me work on it here. I might, you, know, you might hear me workshop my nerd voice a little bit here. 
it's what we call it's what we call workshop in my nerd voice. Doing a little workshop in my nerd voice, but they all developed this sort of kind of a vocal fry. I that's a, a new a relatively new phrase that people point out. Oh, don't you just hate vocal fry? Don't you just hate it when somebody has a lot of vocal fry? No, I mean that said, like, you know, even though that's become a thing that people complain about. Vocal fry, as they call it. I don't personally like that phrase. I, I got to come up with something else. I just call it the nerd voice. But no, a lot of people have it. It's it's a valley girl thing too, which is interesting. But it's also the nerd voice uses a lot of quote unquote vocal fry. But with this, like I said, just this surface level sarcasm, which is like, um, okay then. Yeah. It's that sort of humor. And I'm not a big sarcasm guy. You know, I, I always try to split hairs on this because I believe there's a difference between facetiousness and sarcasm. And I'm a fan of facetious humor. I would say a lot of the sense of humor on this show, not that this show is funny. I don't think this show, there's actually no humor. The show, there's no comedy on this show. Anything that you think is funny is just a miscalculation on your part because this is all very serious. But no, the, the, you know, the sense of humor that I have is always very facetious. Not always, but often. I find facetiousness very funny. I'm not huge on sarcasm, though. And I think we all do it. In the same way we all go to the bathroom, but we don't necessarily love going to the bathroom, I think sarcasm is similar. Where I think being a modern human being means you use a certain amount of sarcasm. But you don't need to embrace it. Just like you don't need to completely embrace going to the bathroom. But facetiousness, I think, is a little different. I mean, maybe facetiousness to somebody else is just the same old bathroom as sarcasm. But I do enjoy facetious humor. But with nerds, it tends to be just this super, uh, superficial sarcasm is the only way I could describe it. Super. <laughs> it's just this super. Because it's just kind of like just responding to what you said with just like an immediate like, um, how about No. And it was interesting to me that so many people in my generation who were into those things developed that way of talking. And when they get together, they're all talking that way. It's like a chorus of, you know, bullfrogs or something. And I noticed that young kids do it too. Like I was at the grocery store and this guy was uh, the cashier and nice kid and everything. But I immediately recognized that he was a nerd. And he had that voice. And he made a comment too that kind of gave an indication uh, you know, just something he said. I was like, oh yeah, he's a nerd. This guy thinks like a nerd. He talks like a nerd. I I believe that I'm dealing with a nerd here. But he had that voice. He kind of croaked out something sarcastic. And I was like, okay, yeah, they're still doing it. I don't know where that came from. In the same way, I don't really know where Wiggers came from. Like, even though I was there for it. I was there from day one... You know, I, I was there on day one in the history of Wiggers. Like, I was there. I was there in history. But yet, I don't really remember an exact moment. Like, even though I talked about kids becoming Wiggers practically overnight, I still feel like there must have been something gradual to it, or there must have been something they saw that made them say, I want to do that. Because I don't think one extreme Wigger just showed up randomly to school one day, and a whole group of guys were like, we want to do that. I think there must have been something in the culture, you know, and it wasn't as simple as like wanting to be black or anything like that. I think there was just something in the air that they all responded to. But, 
you know, I promised I wouldn't go on about Wiggers today. We're back to the nerds. These two symptoms of the Ouroboros swallowing more and more of its own tail. Those were early symptoms. Wiggers and nerds were early signs, in my life at least. I mean, the, the snake has been swallowing its own tail long before I was around. I'm just here for a little part of it. I'm just here for a little chunk of, of this, ta- this uh, tail-swallowing snake. But that's a sign, you know, it's like you start to see, it's almost like uh, mutants in Chernobyl, like ducks with three feet. The more time passes, the more tail that the snake swallows, the more you start to see these little aberrations, these little blips. The species mutates, and nerds and wiggers are just examples of that that I was able to see in my lifetime. Oh, these are mutants. This is the culture mutating. And we've seen where the culture has continued to mutate, but I don't think it would produce people like that in the same way. I don't think that it would produce these categories of human in that same way, because I think the culture has become, I think in the last 10, 15 years, the rate the rate at which like new things spin out, the rate at which mutants come crawling out of the mucus was expedited and you know sped up and... So they started coming out at such a rapid rate that they all eventually just kind of just melted together. Like I wouldn't be able to point out a single mutation from the last 10 years. It's just like mutations inside of mutations, heads joined to heads, Siamese twins. Like what do you call a Siamese twin if it's 100 people joined together? That's the sort of stuff that started emerging from our culture. And it's not a riddle. What do you call a Siamese twin when there's a hundred people joined together? I don't, it's, it's not even a riddle. It's an honest question. What do you call that? I call it our culture today. So looking back on things like wiggers and nerds, I don't know that you would be able to pinpoint people like that today. I don't know, because I'm not a kid. Maybe kids today, and even though everything seems, you know, like a mutant Siamese twin to me... This is the world they are growing up in, so they might have a more nuanced take. Like, if you are a peer of other kids, you very well might have insight into it that I don't have as a 35-year-old man. I might not be able to see. I'm out of touch. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint, like, a single cultural influence that made nerds exactly what they are. Like, I don't, I can't think of any characters that were popular at the time. Like, I mentioned in an episode a little while back how after Fight Club came out, I knew kids who suddenly became this poor imitation of Tyler Durden. That doesn't make them a bad people. They were my friends. <laughs> but, I mean, nobody could actually be that person. Nobody could actually be that character. But with nerds, I don't know what it was. I don't know if there was a character who talked like that. Or have nerds always talked like that? But this sort of vocal fry, Janine Garofalo sarcasm became just a hallmark of nerd interactions, and they're still doing it, even young ones. So that tells me there's something to it. But it was later on, like when I was working, when I started to meet people. Like I worked with a girl, and just right off the bat, she introduced herself as a nerd, and she had that voice. She had that exact voice. She had that sense of humor. I mean, I thought the world of her. Like I honestly did. She was really cool. 
She was into all of the, she was into every nerd thing imaginable. She was into video games. She'd read all sorts of fantasy books. She did D&D. Her boyfriend, who was just, uh, I mean, you want to talk about a mutant, but her boyfriend was the dungeon master of his own D&D group. So they were like the alphas of nerds, you know? And she was into, like, swords, and she had a gun collection because she grew up on a farm in the Midwest. So she she was really into guns. And, uh, you know, I thought the world of her. She was cool, but right off the bat, she introduced herself as a nerd, and, and she had just embraced that identity. And you would not have seen that. Like, you wouldn't have seen nerds in the 1950s saying, Pleased to meet you. I'm a nerd. Pleased to meet you. I'm a nerd. You just wouldn't have heard that. It was something that people were called, you know, pejoratively. And yeah, I think like the whole nerd culture thing that's become the mainstream today, like part of that is is nerds being like, we're claiming it as our own. Oh, if you're going to call us nerds, we're going to claim that. We're going to take it back. It's ours. But over since then, like since my teenage years, like when you first started to see these people emerge as their own subculture... It's just become the mainstream culture. You know, with people doing the exact things that nerds did at that time. Like, you think about video game addiction, internet addiction, and that describes the entire country. Chances are, everybody you know is one or the other. And you can't even really call people addicts anymore. You know, you can't call somebody an internet addict anymore, because how do you call someone an internet addict when they're literally connected all the time? When a huge percentage of their entertainment, when their communication requires the internet and they have the internet in their pocket. You can't even really say that's addiction as much as it is uh, the internet merging with our reality. At this point, calling somebody an internet addict is like calling them a a water addict. It's just something that you, you're pretty much required to use daily to even function. One way or another, the internet probably requires your presence, whether it's because of your job, because, you know, somebody messaged you, whether it's, you know, it could be anything. I mean, we all know how much requires, you know, how much of life in the modern world requires using the internet for something or another, paying a bill, it could be anything. And, uh... You know, so everybody's doing the things that nerds were doing first. And then with that, you know, the culture also has that, where it's like people are obsessed with Star Wars their entire lives now. Like, people are being buried in in Star Wars-themed coffins in today's world. Like, Star Wars isn't something that you liked for 12 years and then moved on with your life and still look back on it fondly. It's something that new ones keep coming out. And it's something now that you brand yourself with for life. You better you better be a Star Wars fan until death. Because the culture is uh, offering you plenty of Star Wars to stay interested in. So you better you better keep watching all the movies that come out. Or when you get into that Star Wars, when your body is laid to rest in that Star Wars themed coffin... If you haven't seen the latest movie, uh, everybody's going to know you're a poser. Everybody's going to know you're not a real fan if you haven't seen all the movies. You know, if you want to be buried in that Star Wars coffin, you better have seen all the movies. You know, Marvel, you know, comic book characters, 
you know, video games, you know, just what people do for entertainment. It's all stuff that was typically associated with nerds, stuff that if you're still into it past childhood, you're considered a nerd. And you know, so, so the nerd culture, it really, it's not some niche, hyper-specific, obscure, weird thing. It's Nerd interests are just what people are into today. And it has been interesting to see that evolve. And it's, it's funny to me, though, because we still have it in our heads that, you know, oh, nerds are cool. Nerds are smart. Nerds is nerd. You know, we, have, we still have these ideas that are in our brains from decades ago. You know, it's been decades since, you know, and, and it, too, we're, we're dealing with anomalies here, too. Like the idea of the ultra-successful nerd. Steve Gates, Bill Jobs, Bill Jobs. You know, those are such anomalies. Those are those are such rarities. And it's like nowadays, it's like chances are the jock from school is as likely to get a good programming job as the nerd. All of the things that we used to consider nerdy have just increasingly become the guts of our modern culture. Just a sec here. And I, just thinking about my sister's generation, where she had some friends who did Dungeons and Dragons and some tabletop RPGs, but it was a little different. Like, I knew her friends, like her friends were all over my house, you know, our house was just sort of the central hangout spot for my sister and her friends, she had a lot of friends, all types of people. Uh, but, you know, some of those, including one of her boyfriends, some of them were into Warhammer, they would paint Warhammer figurines. They would do tabletop RPGs. They were into all that. But they really weren't nerds as we understand it today. Like, they didn't talk like that. It was different than it was during my time. Because, you know, you figure she's seven years older. She's at the end of Gen X. I'm one of the main millennials. And so by the time things metastasized into nerds, you know, in the late 90s, early, mid-2000s, it was something else entirely. And then since then, it's really just been their interests, their hobbies becoming what everybody in the world is into. And they don't really seem to have benefited that much. You know, because thinking back to some of those people, it's not like they've really thrived in this environment. <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, again, I'm not, I, I don't feel that I have either. I don't feel that the world suddenly becoming their playground really ended up doing them any good at all. And, uh, you know, the question is, has it done anybody any good? You know, I'm not against technology. I'm not against video games. I'm, I'm obviously not against the Internet. But I just wonder if these nerdy interests becoming the norm have really done anybody any good. I question it. But with the nerds themselves, like many of them, you know, haven't really done much themselves. And it makes me feel bad because there was all this hype for them. You're going to be the next Bill Jobs. You're going to be the next Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And it's funny to me, too, that Bill Gates has become the center of all these conspiracies. Because Bill Gates is from my area. Like, he grew up like a, the next town over from me. He grew up in Bellevue while I was from Kirkland. 
and the, you know the whole story was uh, yeah Bill Gates he dropped out of school but he was a genie he's a genie you can't judge a genie by his school performance oh public schools they're not meant for genies but that that was you know he, so you, you figure where I grew up too I think that's an important part of this you know Microsoft was started the next town over from me and it was all over the place. Like you'd go drive through the next town over and you'd see the Microsoft campus all over. Nintendo of America was one town over from me. It was actually in the same town that Microsoft was in. And then there was the tech boom or the, what do you call it? Like the internet bubble, whatever that was called. Like there was this, the dot, they called it the dot-com boom. What they called the dot-com boom. A lot of that took place in the Seattle area when I was, coming of age as well. So I was kind of surrounded by that stuff. I was surrounded by that first wave of like successful nerds. And so that was just in the air that like you can be like them. And then the dot-com bubble burst. It blew up. And it became increasingly clear that, you know, just being the next Steve Jobs or Bill Gates was almost an impossibility. And that those guys, when they did get that much success and power, they grabbed, they, they basically, you know, put a stranglehold on everybody else. I mean, you look at what happened, has happened with Google, where it's like they basically strangled out the competition. The Google dolls. I was talking to my friend, I was talking to Miles earlier, and the Goo Goo dolls came up, and I accidentally said Google dolls. It wasn't even me making a Lady Google joke. And I'm surprised I've never thought of it. I'm sure somebody else has. I'm sure if you look it up, it's out there. But the Google dolls. That's what I'm going to tell people I'm into. If I meet any girls that I like in the near future, they're like, what kind of music you like? I'm going to say, the Google dolls. I like the Google Google dolls. I like the Google dolls. <laughs> I can't wait to be... Uh, romantically interested again I can't wait because I'm gonna I'm just gonna be awful I'm gonna be I'm gonna talk like that Google dolls hi I like the Google dolls I, I have two questions for you will you be my girlfriend and will you go to the Google dolls concert with me <laughs> in that order Maybe it should be the opposite order. If I ever meet a girl and I feel serious about her, I'm going to first ask her, will you go to the Google Dolls concert with me? And I have another question too, which is, will you be my girlfriend? The Google Dolls. No, but those guys, you know, it's like you realize that like just being one of those guys is, is probably not in the cards and, and not one of those things where it's like, Hey, kid, you got dreams? Give them up. I'm not even trying to come from that place where, like, oh, so you want to be the next big tech billion billionaire with the girls with the DDs hanging around you? You know, you know, it's not like I'm trying to ruin anybody's dreams. Like, if that's your dream, I'm not trying to ruin it. If the next tech billionaire is listening to this show, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to naysay you. But that, I don't know, it was just a weird little 
a weird little thing that people were into for a while is this fantasy of the nerd who's going to bloom. He's just going to bloom. He's he's a late bloomer. He's going to get out of school and he's going to bloom. He's going to be the wildest flower you ever saw. You're going to go to the 10-year reunion. I mean, that's even in Romy and Michelle's high school reunion where the guy comes back and he's ultra successful. The nerd comes back and he comes on in a helicopter. If you're a nerd, don't worry. Hey, keep your chin up, kid. I know you're a nerd, but in 10 years at the high school reunion, you're going to show up in a helicopter. Shouldn't have put that in people's heads. Shouldn't have put that in kids' heads. Because it turns out it doesn't really happen very often. And the people who have a truly good, innovative idea, the people who are capable even of doing that, they don't really need any sort of you know, story. They don't, they don't need any sort of fairy tale about it. Because they're just into that stuff. And if they have the opportunity, they'll take it. That's how I feel about it. But yeah, it's funny that Bill Gates has become the center of all this. I think he's probably, I'm sure conspiracy theorists have always talked about him, but just being a billionaire and all, or whatever he is. I mean, I think he's a billionaire. I've been calling him a billionaire, but I think Bill Gates is actually a billionaire. But I'm sure being a billionaire, that conspiracy theorists have always talked about him. But we've seen a lot more of it lately because of his role in vaccines and... All of this kind of medical advocacy he does, which is very hands-on. You know, you think about the philanthropist, you think about the billionaire who throws his money at causes, and maybe he'll get a hospital wing named for him or a library, something like that. But Bill Gates is very hands-on with all this stuff, which is interesting. He's like, it's not just enough to give the right people money. He's like, I want to be directly involved, which doesn't help his case with conspiracy theorists at all because he's putting himself right in the middle. But it is funny to me, I guess just because he is a local figure. Like, he is somebody... Like, kids would go to his house for trick-or-treat. Like, and believe it or not, they would actually let kids do it. Like, I'm sure he had all kinds of security. But it was one of those local myths, too. Because if you grew up in the east side of Seattle, which is the suburbs like Kirkland, Bellevue, Redmond, there was all this lore surrounding Bill Gates's house. Like, you knew where it was. It was in this private community called Medina. It was a little town called Medina where only rich people lived. But you'd hear all these rumors about it. You'd be like, oh yeah, you know, Bill Gates has a, uh, if you walk into a room, and this is before like, you know, what do you call it? This is before like Bluetooth. This is before all, this is before iPods. This is in the probably the early mid nineties. You would hear people say, hey, you know, Bill Gates, if you walk into his house, like the music changes to your preference when you go into a different room. When you walk into a room in Bill Gates's house, the stereo starts playing your favorite music, and it sets it, it sets the temperature to whatever your preferred temperature is in the room. Like basically, people had all this local lore. They would say, like I heard this all through school. You would hear parents talking about this. They were always talking about Bill Gates' house having all of it was like the Jetsons. It was like people would talk about Bill Gates' house like it was the Jetsons, and for all I know, it was. You know, I don't know that it wasn't, 
but the way people talked about it, and that's what I meant like a while back. I was talking about urban legends and how if you grew up during a certain time, people would people could say things and it would go totally unchecked. Like you could spread urban legends and nobody could prove it wrong. Nobody could discount it. So people could make things up. People could basically play the game of telephone every waking second of their life where it's like you're depending on the person who's talking to you. Like you depend on that person to either get the details right or to even just tell the truth because people can tell you anything about anybody. Like all kinds of celebrity rumors made their rounds that just wouldn't work today. Like some of the urban legends about celebrities you would hear, you just couldn't do it today because somebody would instantly look it up and it would be all over the news. It would be all over the internet. So people did that with Bill Gates' house too. And that might have been just a local thing since Bill Gates' house, like you could see it from the the bridge to Seattle. Like if you're driving on the bridge to Seattle, you could always see Bill Gates' house along the water. And people would always point it out. Like if we took a field trip to Seattle... You'd have, you know, 60 kids on a bus pointing and being like, there's Bill Gates's house. And people felt very proud of themselves for knowing. Like a kid who, like in second grade or fifth grade, whatever it is, who's on the bus pointing out the window going, see, dude, the third house in is Bill Gates's house. You could tell they felt very proud that they know where the billionaire's house is. The place where, and, and you know, when you looked at it too, like you'd be looking at Bill Gates' house from the bus or the car, or whatever it is, and you'd almost be fantasizing about weird, like an underwater base. You'd be imagining all these things that probably weren't there. His house was probably normal by today's standards. Like, his house probably wasn't much different. It was probably even more primitive than the average house today in terms of technology. But you were imagining, like, some underground security tank. Like, I imagine some sort of glass tank like practically a submarine or something, just like sitting in the water out front. Your brain would just go there, you know, because it was like, it was just, it, it didn't really even seem conceivable to imagine, like the, like the life that Bill Gates lived just seemed inconceivable to the normal person, especially in that area. And, and since he was so close, since you could see his house, since chances are you knew somebody whose parent, like my cousin worked for Microsoft. She met her husband there. So there's stories like that. You knew kids and their parents worked for Microsoft. I knew a kid, his dad worked for Nintendo. They were English. They came over from England and his dad worked for Nintendo. I wasn't friends with them, but everybody knew his dad worked for Nintendo. Like if your parent worked for Microsoft or Nintendo, people knew. It was a big deal. You were involved in something cutting edge. And there were a lot of other businesses too. Like we had some neighbors who were in some sort of educational software business. They took me on a tour of it once. They made educational software. And I still remember because I hurt the woman's feelings. She was probably, at the time she seemed 40, but she was probably, I think she was probably 28 or 30. And she was working in this tech company and uh, one time she showed me the game they had developed. And it was like this talking sock. Like the cover of the game, the software. And they came in big boxes. You know, the software came in big boxes. So she was showing me the cover to get my opinion as a kid. Like I think she was in marketing. I don't know where She wasn't a programmer or anything. I think she worked in the marketing department. But I was probably like nine years old. And she was like, I want to get your opinion on this. And she showed me the cover. And it was like this purple sock 
with like gla- like eyeglasses on it and like fake eyes, like a talking sock. And I looked at it and I go, what is that, a sock? In this really condescending way. And I remember she got really extremely upset. Like she was like, that is very hurtful. As somebody who worked very hard on this project, the way that you responded to that was, I mean, because she, she was like a very liberal progressive woman. And so she she already had that kind of like therapy speak down. I, I I liked them, you know. I like I'm not trying to be even worse by like I'm not I'm not trying to add insult to injury by being like I didn't like the sock and I didn't like her. No, I'm not trying to do that here. I'm just saying that like she had that kind of like therapy speak down, even in like 1996, where she was like, "What you just said is very hurtful to somebody who." spent a lot of time working on this project because basically I just threw her project in the trash because it was intended for kids so and she was showing this to me as like the demographic who the game was for it was like a talking sock that teaches you how to do something I don't even know what I didn't I didn't get that far but it reminded me of like every shitty children's tv show that was on during the day when you were homesick that was intended for kids that were younger than you but doesn't matter what age I was it made me sick because the idea of like a talking sock is a bad idea I still remember the cover vividly it was this purple sock and it was like it was a realistic photo it was like they posed a sock with eyeballs on it it wasn't I don't think it was a digitally created sock. I think they actually took a photograph of a sock that they had set up. It almost looked like claymation or something. And I looked, I took one look at it. Here I am. She's like testing the product on me, her neighbor boy. And we were close to them. Like we spent a lot of time with them. They became close. They're still friends with my family, in fact, (laughs) despite, despite my attitude. Uh, But I took one little look at it and I just said, what is that? a sock you know and it just she said that it was very hurtful and you think about it yeah like the the person who this is intended for the age it's intended for nine-year-old boys and a nine-year-old boy just said this thing that you labored over sucks yeah i can see why that would hurt somebody's feelings but these people worked in tech like point being it's just like it was weird to grow up then because you would meet people who worked in that business and it was a big deal like they make computers what do they do there? They so you, you're telling me you're an educational software, huh? Uh, do you make computers there? <laughs> no, but because it, it was all a mystery, it seemed like magic at the time. And then seeing this like fortress, the Gates Fortress. Every time you drove to Seattle, if you're driving along, you would see his house. I'm sure it's still there. But I understand why he, just to get back to why I even went off about him, is just that, you know, you understand why someone like that is a target for conspiracy theories. Not that I get into that. Like, not that I'm into that. I don't even find it that funny when people joke about it. But still, like, I can understand why somebody like that would become a target. But it's strange to me because there is that local element. So it's it's not just this really famous billionaire who created the software that everybody uses billionaire excuse me he's a billionaire you keep saying he's a billionaire but he's a billionaire no but that's always weird to me it's like when coronavi like first hit the u.s soil like the first outbreak was in my hometown at a senior living facility anytime there's a hometown connection i just feel like it's cosmically relevant to me 
It fuels my inner narcissism. Bill Gates fuels my inner narcissism because he comes from the same place I do. Hey, me and Bill Gates, man, he comes from the same place I do. He comes from my neighborhood. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. I should do everything I can to distance myself from Bill Gates. If someone wants to ask me what I'm doing, this is how I would, like, see, I would have so much fun if I pretended to be truly crazy. Like, I have no doubt there's somebody in my life. There's probably somebody in my life who thinks, like, at some point Eric lost it. I don't understand. Something went wrong in his head. But if I really wanted to make people think I was crazy, and they asked me, like, so what have you, what have you been up to, dude? I would say, I'm doing everything I can to distance myself from Bill Gates. What are you doing? What are you up to? And if they said, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I got married. I, I, I got a, I got a job in educational software, and I thought maybe I'd, I'd test it out on you." They show it to me, and it's a sock. Turns out this is a recurring event in my life. Every twenty years, every thirty years, I meet somebody who works for an educational software company. And they say, I want to test this out on you. And it's the same sock. Every 30 years. That would mean that, that, would mean that it would only happen three times in my entire life. <laughs> if I live that long. Maybe two. Which I think is weirder than it happening all the time. Like it'd be one thing if like throughout your life, like every year, every month, somebody shows you this educational software they help develop and it has this picture of a sock. It's more weird if it happens to you only twice in a lifetime. It's way more weird if that happens than than it happening all the time. But yeah, no, that's going to be my go-to response. Now, Eric, what have you been up to? Coronavirus much? What would you do during coronavirus? Not you, oh, you, did you do a lot of self-care? Did you do a lot of self-care during coronavirus locker down? You learn any new did you learn how to knit? What kind of food you learn how to cook? What have you been up to? I'm doing everything I can to distance myself from Bill Gates. Now, I'd have a lot of fun if I just embraced like a an actual, I've lost my mind shtick and, d- and tried to do it convincingly. It would be too easy to do. Because going back to that facetiousness thing, like even just as someone who has a facetious sense of humor, like even just being facetious to the wrong person, Oh, they think I'm crazy now. You know, if I'm just facetious in a way that they don't immediately detect, like you can see them become visibly uneasy. You can see somebody become visibly uneasy if they don't pick up on the fact that you're using facetious humor. And not stuff like you go up to like some a coworker and you're like, Hey, uh, how was your lunch break? Oh, mine was good. I just got back from killing a kid. Be like, what? Oh, you know, on my lunch breaks, I go and I kill, I kill a kid every lunch break. Like, that's not funny, facetious humor to me. Like, shock humor isn't funny to me. Like, it used to be, when I was younger, I used to appreciate more shock humor. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not into, like, facetious shock humor. Even though that's probably that probably actually describes all of my humor. <laughs> that probably actually describes my entire sense of humor. Oh, his sense of humor? It's like, uh, it's like shock, it's like shocking facetiousness. 
a hint of shocking facetiousness. Tongue. I'm in the game, the tongue twister game now too. Or a game of shocking facetiousness. But yeah, nerds. I don't. Do I have much to say about nerds? Uh, yeah, not really. It's a, it, the mutation of nerd culture, nerd subculture, occurred around the same time as the Wigger mutation. And, uh, you know, I don't think that they, you know, Wiggers are harder to pinpoint the origins. Because it's not like there was a sort of person going back decades who people were like, oh, it's a proto-Wigger. Like, Wiggers were something that could only have occurred, it was like the perfect storm. Where Wiggers came about because, like, rap had become popular in the mainstream. Fashion had developed, you know, mainstream fashion had developed a certain way. So there were a lot of factors. I think there's, you know, there's sort of a, a mystery factor in it too for me. Like I, I can't quite pinpoint all of the ingredients that led to the perfect storm of wiggers. Nerd culture, you can see a little bit more. You can see where like certain interests, certain niche interests were coming more and more to the forefront. Technology was developing more and more to allow people to immerse themselves in certain worlds and interests. It is interesting that nerds are kind of the polar opposite of what nerds were, you know, 40, 50 years earlier. Where instead of these humorless, book smart, straight A students, you end up with the opposite, which is these like video game technology addicts who talk only in blunted sarcasm. Who don't get good grades. You know, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what it was. But you can at least see where it has roots in that. You can at least see where, like, that idea goes back that far. Whereas you can't really do that with wiggers. Like, even though I was saying recently how wiggers are sort of the modern greasers. Like, they were sort of the modern bad boy. At least of my age group. But they weren't... Uh, something you can really trace back like even though bad boys come and go it wasn't like you could really trace it back to an earlier identity whereas with nerds you kind of can but with that idea i I, I do want to go into that for a sec uh like the motivation to get girls because that was the thing that wiggers had going for them is that girls liked them believe it or not believe it because it happened like girls like really unbelievably hot girls from my school, went for the wigger because he was the bad boy. Even though he was a clownish bad boy, even though it was very, the whole thing is killer clown. Even though they were killer clowns, girls went for it. And when girls go for something, there's a built-in justification because you hear people say it all the time where they're like, hey, you know, uh, I don't get this whole wigger thing, but uh, the girls, he gets lots of pussy. He gets lots of pussy, so who am I to say? The girls seem to like it. You know, there's a built-in justification if the girls like it. And that goes back to, you know, hair metal, which I was talking about recently, too, where when guys dressed like girls and a certain type of guy listened to it, he would say, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the whole dressing like girls thing is all about. I'm not really into the whole dressing like girls thing, but, dude, they get so much pussy. Like, when getting pussy is involved... It pretty much justifies everything. Like, men will justify anything 
And not that that's the sole motivation. Like, I'm not one of these people who's like, oh, men, men are only interested in SDX. You know, I'm not even one of these people. But that said, like, that is a a justification that men will use to do all kinds of things. And if they're successful at it. Like, Like, I don't think that Wiggers would have been nearly as acceptable or accepted by their peers if they didn't get girls. But they did get girls. A lot of them did. A lot of the girls, a lot of pretty girls, not just girls, but a lot of very pretty girls gravitated toward them. And I respect that. I respect any man who can recruit a harem of pretty girls. No, but, you know, it's something that hair metal did as well, where it's like, even though these guys look absurd, even though they're acting absurd, they have girls all around. So people are like, well, they got girls with them. But then that's the thing that nerds apparently don't have, which is like, well, there's no girls. There's no girls. Hey, guys, you know, it seems really fun. Like, what you guys do, like having these LAN parties, these LAN parties where you all play Counter-Strike on the same modem, it seems really fun. But where are the girls? You know, people are always looking for that. Uh, People are always, like, looking. When girls aren't there, you know, somebody's bound to notice. The girls notice. (laughs) When the girls aren't there, uh, let me tell you, the girls notice that. But if girls had gravitated toward nerds, you know, if girls had been, like, flocking to the nerds, you know, I bet you'd see a lot more acceptance of it back then. And now, now that it's totally mainstream, I don't even know what to say about it. Now that being a nerd is just like being a normal human being in 2021... You might as well be doing anything. There's nothing significant about it one way or another, it seems like. But I love that justification of like, hey man, like, who am I to argue with girls? Hey, I, I might not like the way he wears his hat and the way he segs his pants, but who am I to argue with girls? I might not like their feathered hair and the makeup they're wearing, but who am I to argue with a guy who gets a girl? And I like that there's something kind of evolutionary to that. Where it's like, hey, you know, they're they're succeeding. They're succeeding at that big thing. Therefore, it just... Which is funny, because that on an evolutionary level, like, I don't see the world through that lens, but on, a, on an evolutionary level, that's sort of the justification for anything. If it allows you to mate, it is okay. All is fair in love and war. You know, all is fair... When it comes to a dude getting girls. But what I find very fascinating about nerd culture is that the girls who are drawn to it become it. Like you don't really see very many kind of like groupie types. Like Wiggers had groupies. Wiggers, like the girls who liked Wiggers, they were kind of like group. They were like Wigger groupies. (laughs) They were Wigger groupies. Um, No, they were though. They really kind of had that vibe. Whereas, like, when a girl dates a nerd, like, chances are she is one. Like, chances are she talks just like him. Chances are she has many of the same qualities he has. So you have to become one in order to to be involved with one. And so that's more of what you see. And, I mean, of course, somebody could be like, well, look at here. Like, look look at this nerd here. He got the hottest girl in the world, and she's not even a nerd. That exists. Of course that exists. In the same way, you know, tech billion billionaires exist. 
But they're the exceptions. They're the anomalies. So I guess like what somebody should have taught these kids, what someone should have taught these nerds when I was growing up, is that the whole thing about someday you'll be everybody's boss. Someday you'll have the hottest wife here. All that stuff was mostly bullshit. Probably just to stop them from shooting up the school. Because that sounds like a really good psychological technique to stop nerds from shooting up the school. Tell them, dude, you just don't even realize in 10 years, you're going to have the hottest girl here. You're going to be worth a billion, billion dollars. Like, don't shoot up the school. You have riches waiting for you. It's like they've, people promised them heaven. People promised nerds heaven. They were like, in 10 years, you're going to have 72 virgins waiting for you. And a stack of a billion dollars. And that's just what's under your bed. Oh, see that jock? See the quarterback over there? He's going to be like working in a warehouse. You're going to be his boss. You're going to be his boss's boss. I feel like that was all just a myth created to stop nerds from killing everybody. Here's a plan. We're going to have a meeting with the president on how to combat violence in schools. There's, it's, there's starting to be a lot of these columbines. We're starting to see all these columbines show up around the country. And uh, I think we really... Should we ban guns? Should we ban video games? Should we ban Ramstein? Should we ban Marilyn Manson? No, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell all the nerds that in 10 years, they're going to be the most successful one in the school. They're going to be the ones with a billion, billion dollars and a, and a blonde with double DDs hanging on each arm. They just got to wait. They just got to be good and they got to wait. They got to just tolerate the bullying and then in 10 years, they're going to be in heaven. If we tell them that, they won't shoot up the school. I remember, too, in Bowling for Columbine... One of the South Park guys, who I like, I like the South Park guys, uh, but one of them said something to the effect of like, you guys just had to wait. You guys just had to wait a couple of years. You guys, would college is made for you, dude. College was made for you. And I'm just imagining like Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold going to college and like how much they'd probably hate it. Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, like somehow they were able to like, like this little angel on their shoulder was like, dude... All that, you know, yell, you you might be playing Doom now. You might just be playing Doom and talking on AOL Instant Messenger now. But those skills are going to lead to a, a pot of gold with a billion, billion dollars and a, a blonde with double DDs. If a little angel told Eric Harris that before he shot up the school and he listened to it, he probably would have gone on to college and just shot up the college. You know, it's like, oh, they just need to wait a year. Once they realize that their entire life isn't just this small town, they're going to go out into the big, bold world. And they're going to thrive. They're going to work for a a dot-com business. You know, it's like, again, it's like the South Park guys, who are probably really cool. Like, they talk about being nerds, and they're like, they were probably really cool. Even if they were nerds, I bet they were cool. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're you're the anomaly. Like you went on to to create South Park. Like you're probably the exception. 
I mean, I agree with them. I agree with Trey Parker. Like, yeah, the Columbine guys probably should have waited. They probably they probably should have waited. <laughs> they, they probably shouldn't have shot up their school, and they probably should have just dealt with life. I think that's probably the best thing that could have happened, is if they just didn't shoot up to school and they just waited to see what life presented to them. I think that's always the best option. Whether someone is committing suicide or they want to kill someone else, I don't think it matters what it is. I think... You know, your soul is uh, intended to, you know, see what happens. That's just my belief. Um, But that said, I think, you know, we very well might have just seen Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold go out into the world and find even more people they hate. (laughs) Even more people that agitated them. You never know. But I do like that idea that, like, that whole narrative of, like, oh, you know, oh, you, you, you can't even keep good grades and you're addicted to, to video games and you have acne and no girl even looks at you. Just wait a little while. You'll be the, you'll basically be the, the, the mayor of the town. You'll basically be, you'll be a male model and a mayor and, and a, uh, a rich man. Untold riches await you, await you, son. I feel like that was just a really good way of stopping nerds from massacring people, is promising them some bright future, some perfect future, where they put their skills to use. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children